Praise the Lord. Amen. He is good. He is good. You know, receiving of the word is worship. Teaching the word is worship and receiving the word is worship. We don't disconnect from a mode of worship when we receive the word. That's why, that's why it's so important that we rid ourselves of distractions when we receive the word because receiving the word is, is opening up our heart in a way you don't open up your heart during regular life. At least it should be. We should open up our heart during the teaching of the word in a way we never open up our heart to any other voice but the voice of God. Because if you were to open up your heart this way to anyone else, <laughs> there's a good chance it'd be damaged. I'm not talking about anyone else other than me, but I'm talking about anyone else other than God. When you open your heart the way you open it to God, you're not putting anything between your heart and God. Nothing. No guards, no fences, no filters. Nothing. If I were to do that to a television program, if I were to do that to a newspaper article, my heart could suffer extreme damage because it was not made to be so unguarded. The Bible says, guard your heart without all diligence, for out of it flows the issues, the springs of life. The only time that we open up our heart this way is in worship to God. Whether we're opening it up in music, or we're opening it up in prayer, or we're opening it up in a time of hearing. But either way, we are opening up our hearts to receive the word in a way that you don't open up your heart to anything else. It's so important that we, we, we get rid of the distractions and the bitterness. And we just, anything you brought in, you put down, and you say, Oh Lord, put your word into me that I may live. The entrance of your word brings light. It is your word that strengthens my bones. Gives life to me. It is life and healing to my body. It is your word which guides me in the path of truth. It is your word which has helped me to stand when I should have been crippled. It is your word which spoke to me when I was dead and said, Live and I allow live because of the word of God. We are alive because of this word. So why would we ever fall asleep during the preaching of the word? I'm not talking about physically falling asleep. I'm talking about spiritually asleep. If this very word that, preached, that was preached to us, remember the, the scripture says you were saved. You were saved and born of an incorruptible seed, imperishable seed. That is the word that we are preaching to you. If that was the word that woke you up from death to life, then why would we take it passively in the middle of our walk with Christ? In the middle of our life, when we've already been born again, shouldn't it always be life to us? Such life that, that when we hear it, it's like being resurrected again. I heard um, my wife was talking to somebody from back home, back in old home Spokane, and she said, I feel like I've been born again again. You, you, you don't get born again again, but it, sometimes it feels like it. It's that fresh and that new. And um, thank God for that. Amen. Thank God. You know, the past bit, I'm reminded of what, what uh, Jesus said to the churches in the book of Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Spirit speaks to churches. 
We may try to make it where the Spirit, we just think He speaks to individuals, but He speaks to churches. And what has the Spirit been saying to our church? What's He been, what's he been talking to us about? If it's a time of hearing, if it's a time of, of, of listening and finding, then it's important to, to figure out what we've found, what He's showed us. As, as, as Pastor Brownie said, it is in the secret place that we find Him. In other words, it's, it's hidden. It's a special place that He desires everyone who seeks Him to find Him. He, he doesn't leave anybody out of that. If you seek, you will find. There's, there's no exception to that. You seek and you'll find. So he's not, he's not hiding Himself so well that only the best seekers will find. He is the ones that are really seeking will find. Not the smartest seekers, not the strongest seekers, but the, the true seekers. I love the scripture in the book of Proverbs that says it is the heart of God to hide something. And you wonder, what in the world does that mean? He said, it's his way to hide something. But it is the part of kings to search it out. It is God's to hide it, but it is ours to, to seek it out and find it. That's what he's put in the hands of a king. And he has made us priests and kings to our God. To seek it out and find the thing that's hidden. To find the hidden pearl. That's why he spoke in parables. So that those that weren't seeking would not find. But those that were seeking would find. The hungry would be fed. And the ones who thought they were fed would go away still hungry. In the past few weeks, the Lord has... In fact, since, since the new year, probably, the Lord has been preparing us and saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. Prepare, prepare, prepare. If you heard it with the wrong ears, you'd think it was going to be a horrible time because the word storm has been thrown around. The word uh, battle has been thrown around. But you know what? If you are in Christ, abiding in Him and in His word and in His love, this is not a scary time. This is a time of proving. This is a time of establishing. This is a time of victory because you can't have victory without battles. You can't be an overcomer without something to overcome. Jesus, and we've read this the past few weeks, but Jesus has con had continually prepared his disciples saying, when tribulation comes because of the word. The one who received the word with good soil was fine. It was the ones who didn't that had problems. When storms came against the house, the one that dug down the foundation by coming to him, hearing what he said, and doing what he said, those ones were fine because their house was built on a rock. If you are terrified when someone says there are some storms coming, then you've got to analyze, am I really, do I have a house? Is it built on the rock? You should not be afraid in this time. Because you, if you've built your house on the rock, this is the time where you say it's going to be proven for what it is, a real house built on a real rock. The only time you need to be worried, guys, the only time you need to be concerned is if you've been living a sham this whole time. If you're, if you're truly built on the rock, don't be afraid, but rejoice. Goliath is there. God didn't put Goliath there. God didn't put those, those evil words in Goliath's mouth. God didn't put a spear in Goliath's hand. Nevertheless, Goliath must be fought. 
We could sit in church and say there'll never be a battle and you could be like the Israelites, the cower, and, and just expect Goliath will go away on his own because he'll get tired. Or you could be one of them that says there's a battle coming, but I'm ready. And for David, his greatest time up to this point, his greatest battle, his perhaps greatest adversity was ahead of him. But it was also his greatest opportunity. When we think of David... We think of conquering a giant. Now, that giant is a bad dude, and the giant's not from God, and don't listen to a theology that tries to tell you the giant came from God. But let me tell you what our theology, which is, well, all I can tell you is what the Bible says. It says that the giant has got to be beaten, and this is your greatest moment of victory, because you get to be the one that beats him. This is a good day. This is a day of triumph. This is a day of overcoming. This is a day of victory. Not because there are no giants, but because you've been given all the equipment to beat the giants. Going into the promised land means means beating giants. But it's still the promised land. The coolest part about the promised land is it's promised. Which means it doesn't have anything to do with your ability to fight. It has everything to do with your ability to believe the promise about the promised land. If I believe the promiser, I can step into the promised land. Though there will be giants, we're not afraid. And you can be at the end. Now now realize, we've all encountered giants. We've all fought some things off. But rather than just simply being uh, the, the breed of Israelites that say, we'll, we'll do what we have to do, sir. Yes, sir. We beat the giants. But now we beat the giants. It's time to relax. Wouldn't we want to be like that old man, Caleb, who's older than all the rest of these whippersnappers? And they're relaxing, sipping their lemonade in the promised land, saying, we did, we did what the Lord told us to do. Wouldn't you want to be like Caleb and say, Instead of just saying, we did all the Lord made us do, say, Lord, what, do you, what else do you have? Because I hear there's giants up on that hill. Give me that one. It's still got giants. What a, what a weird guy. Which one do you want, Caleb? You're the oldest. You got the right to have the choicest land, the finest land. Pick the fattest grapes, the easiest life. You've earned your place. He says, you, wanna, you know what I've earned? The best battle. I want that one. Give me the one with the giants on it. Because I still have got a couple chapters left in my autobiography that's got to be filled. And I want it filled with action. So give me the giants. So you, 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 you can be one of these people that sits back and goes, Okay, well, we'll do what the Lord tells us to do, but I hope He doesn't tell us to too much. Or you can say, Lord, please, I know there's giants. Show me the giants and I'll whoop them. I'll get them, I'll take, my, I'll take my crew, and we'll get them. Because it's not a time to be afraid. It's a time to be strong and courageous. When someone says storm, your instinct should not be, uh-oh, storm. Your instinct should be, thank God I'm in a house with a foundation. Built strong and secure. Thank God I've got roots that go past the surface. Thank God I'm built on something greater than my opinion or something greater than culture or something more, more lasting than the latest book. I'm built on the rock. I will stand. 
couple weeks ago we read from Jude where Jude um, talked about you know showing mercy on some who are doubting showing mercy on others snatching them from the fire then he talked about another group of people who uh, were into some really deep nasty stuff and he says save them with fear and trembling hating even the garment polluted by the flesh which means don't get into what they're doing. You, you save them, you, you share the gospel, you get them born again, and then you get out of there. You don't fellowship with that wickedness. You save the person, you stay away from the junk they've been in. Right? And, and we, we talked about the fact that in Jude, it, you could be frightened by the, the, the language. He talks about false teachers. He talks about mockers. He, he says in the last days, these folks have... I mean, if, it, if, if this doesn't make it even more sinister, he says, they've crept into your churches. I mean, <laughs> that's not fun. I mean, if, if, if anything sends chills on your spine, they've crept into your churches. <laughs> These creeps are in the church. What? <laughs> creeps are the ones that have crept into the church. But... And then he's talking about saving those with fear and trembling, hating the garments polluted by the flesh. Uh, a baby in Christ might go, I, w- I didn't sign up for this. But you remember that past that, he says, and to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now that's a strong phrase. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless and holy with great joy. Actually, I'm sorry. He didn't say just to present you. He said to make you stand. That's huge. To make you stand blameless with great joy in the presence of God. Now, this is cool. This is His promise to you. To make you stand. He's able to keep you. Now, remember the instruction was to keep yourself in the love of God. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. We've got instruction, but you know, He's given you all the equipment you need. Keep yourself in the love of God. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. And what else? Wait anxiously for His return. These four things, you'll be fine. Thank God. God has not put us into a battle that we weren't fully equipped to overkill. Remember, the Scripture says, in all these things... And if you're wondering what these things are, the Apostle Paul has just gone through a laundry list of some of the worst things you could ever go through. And he says, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Looking up that phrase, when he says overwhelmingly conquer, the best way you can describe it is extreme overkill. We conquer so much that it's almost embarrassing. There should have been a mercy rule here. This shouldn't be fair that we conquer this much. We overwhelmingly conquer. We didn't just barely get by. We didn't just scrape by by the skin of our teeth. We weren't just, you know, saved as though through fire. We're talking about, I mean, there will be those, the Scripture says, that, that didn't do anything with their life. And it says they'll be saved as though through fire. In other words, by this much. But you, you've heard the Word. You've believed the Word. You are overcomers. There's no reason you should be getting to heaven by the skin of your teeth. This is, or, I mean, thank God. You've been equipped far better than that. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Amen. 
the blood of Jesus is so great, so wonderful, so marvelous, that if you'll keep yourself in the love of God, if you'll build yourself up on your most holy faith, you pray in the Holy Spirit, there's really nothing that can frighten you. I want to read you something from 1 John 5. Do you like the book of 1 John? I love the letter of John. <laughs> it's one of my many favorites. The question that's come to you, am I ready, am I equipped, am I able to stand? I want to remind you, Ephesians 6. Have you read Ephesians 6? Isn't that great? In Ephesians 6, do you notice how many times he says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able. And he says, you'll be able more than once. This comes up a few times. You will be able to stand in the evil day. Now, whatever day you're in, the evil day sounds like a bad day. Sounds like a really bad day. In fact, it sounds like the worst day that could come. The evil day sounds like the day that Satan is throwing everything at you. And yet he says, you will be able to stand. I mean, you're fighting. You're not even crouched. This isn't trench warfare. You're able to stand in the evil day. You know, I've, I, I've seen reenactments of battles, and there's times where those fiery darts are coming, where they stood at first, and then they, they got behind something and did like this, just, just till the worst was over. But he says, if you've got the full armor of God, you're able to stand in the evil day. The evil day. There is not a day that Satan could concoct which is enough to stand against the armor you wear. But you've got to put on the full armor of God. It doesn't say, you know, it just, it comes around and uh, it'll show up at the time you need it. No, it's just put it on. First John 5 says, whoever believes, now whoever, sounds like it could include anyone here, right? No one's excluded. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. Thank God. Here's why it's important that you're born of God. It says, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. He's not saying, uh, you know, this will get you saved. You start doing this. No, He says, this is how you know you are. This is how you know. Here's a proof. First John is full of these. You want to you just prove that you are who you say you are? Here's the proof. You find you love these people that you never used to love? Yeah, that's proof. You're the, you're the real deal. <laughs> He's in you. That didn't come from you just trying harder this is the proof this is a fruit of a life that's born again for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome well that's cool isn't it so the love of God it says this is the love of God that we keep his commandments now if you are Boy, if you're in a, a certain mindset, that might sound hard for you. Oh, I, I got to keep his commandments. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. He's got, there's a lot in there. I mean, it's just, you're looking at it the wrong way. Look, he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. And there's a period. I don't think there should be a period here. Because the next word is for. For is a connecting word, right? 
The thought's not done yet. For his commandments are not burdensome. Why? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. There's a reason his commandments are not burdensome. It's not that they're particularly, he just tried to make these commandments as simple as possible. If you weren't born again, they are impossible. When you're born again, you walk in the Spirit. These things, you've overcome the world. It is foolishness, friends, for us to make a bunch of laws. Now, I, I believe in law, I believe in justice, I believe in, in righteous laws. Don't get me wrong here. That's, the Scripture defines that and says that's right. But it's foolish for us to think, if we just made all sin illegal, that problem solved. Because you know what? Those people would still, they'd be under the law. They'd be under a law. They'd have no power to overcome sin. They'd have no ability to overcome sin. A, a, an unsaved person can try, but they can't oh, defeat sin. They can't overcome it. But a believer who has been redeemed bought back, price paid, made righteous by the blood of Jesus, he is completely able to keep all the commandments. And it says, for whatever is born of God, his commandments are not burdensome because whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world our faith your faith is the victory key word the victory that has already overcome the world who is the one that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the son of God this is the one who came by water and blood Jesus Christ not with the water only but with the water and with the blood it is the spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. I want you to turn to Luke 22. We consider ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. Followers. Sons and daughters of the living God. The redeemed, the bought back, the church. Oh, so many good things, huh? This is a good place to be. Luke 22 is, is, is a... Is, is right in the middle of a challenging time because at the end of Jesus' life, we are confronted with the faithlessness of the people that are with him. The first thing that happens is they begin to fight with each other right near the end. They're fighting with each other. Then the second thing that happens is, you know... I mean, Judas goes off and betrays Jesus. Third thing that happens is Peter denies Jesus. It would appear that all this was for nothing. Because they're all, I mean, you had them all this time. What's going on, buddy? But there's something greater than these little mistakes. In Judas' case, it turned out to be a big mistake. Why? Because he didn't come back like Peter did, fall at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Judas was self-condemning went straight and hung himself. Peter at least was able to accept the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But that's not the point for tonight. Luke 22, 31. Shimon, Shimon. 
And it was little read, little read. Behold, look, pay attention. Satan has demanded or legally obtained permission. The phrase there is that he had every right to demand what he demanded. Now, a lot of mixed up theology comes from this verse, but I'm, I hope it'll come clear as you see it. He has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. When he says he has demanded permission to sift you, he's talking to Simon, but the you there is plural. One of the weaknesses of the English language is that we don't have a plural version of you. At least in the South you can say y'all, right? Well, somehow Jesus doesn't come across the same way to us when he says he's demanded permission to sift y'all like wheat. <laughs> Some people in Saskatchewan says use. He's de- <laughs> the French have vous. I mean, it's just we don't have a plural. But in this case, he's pluralizing it. He has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. What does that mean? Has he obtained permission to destroy you? No. Has he obtained permission to afflict you? No. When you sift something like wheat, what are you doing? You're finding out what's the real wheat and what's not. Right? You're testing it. You're finding it. You're finding the real stuff, separating the real stuff from the fake stuff. I do believe it was Satan's desire and intention. Why was he... Now, when he says he's demanded permission to sift you, plural, who's he talking about? The eleven. The disciples that are left. Why is Satan interested with the eleven? Why why do you think he wants to test them above everyone else? Why do you think he wants to... Because what Satan is thinking is, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. Once you get him out of the way, they're nothing. He is testing... Not, he's not just testing them as people. He's testing what Jesus has put in them. He's testing their connection with Him. He's testing whether they're the real deal or not, or whether they were just simply followers that He kept for the while He was there. He's testing whether when Jesus is gone, they'll pass the test. Let me tell you something. Big mistake. The only... <laughs> because this is like... This is like Satan calling a bluff. And then Jesus lays his cards down. And it's whatever in poker is a big deal. I don't know. (laughs) He's got a good hand. (laughs) This is... This is Satan saying, I bet if I test, if I put him to the test, they'll be shown that they were just a bunch of guys that followed you around. Uh Uh-oh. What he's doing, he's not, I mean, you've got to realize, he's not testing those men. He's testing Jesus. They're his disciples. God gave them to Jesus. He says, you have given these twelve to me, and not one of them has perished, save the son of perdition, that the prophecy may be fulfilled. He's testing not just men, but he's testing Jesus. Is this real? Can you really put yourself in these men? If you leave, they won't pass the test. But one thing he doesn't count on, 
Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you, plural, all of you, 11, like wheat. But, there is a but there. And as you know, but is a phrase that turns the last phrase on its head. It says, though this may be true, there is something that stands in direct opposition to that fact. I had cancer, but the Lord healed me. I was blind, but now I see. I was lame, but now I walk. I was demon-possessed, but now I'm free. But I have prayed for you. Your faith may not fail. Listen, listen. This doesn't mean that Jesus says, please, Lord, don't let their faith fail. Can I ask you a question? Did Jesus ever pray a prayer that wasn't the will of the Father? No, never. What is 1 John 5? If we were to keep reading, what does he say? We have this assurance that if we pray according to the will of God, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have whatever we've asked for. If Jesus always prayed the will of the Father, would it be safe to say his prayers were always answered? So do you think Jesus ever said, if you feel like it, or maybe if there's a chance, could you do this for them? Now, once he prayed it, it's set. Because he wouldn't have prayed it had it not been God's will. He just prayed it out. You realize, I mean, a lot of times we say there's no point in praying if God already wills it. If God already wills it, it'll happen. That's not true. Or else Jesus wouldn't have prayed a word. And why would you pray anything if it wasn't God's will? You're fighting God. You think he'll change his mind? Well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. No, there's a point to praying. If the scripture says the prayer of a righteous man does much, the converse, uh, the translation of that, if I were to flip that around, means you don't pray, it doesn't happen. I recognize that there are sovereign things of God that happen despite us. <laughs> we weren't moving, and God in His great mercy did it anyways. But most of the time, He has put it in the hands of His people to pray things out that are already His will. That's why Jesus prayed. If Jesus only prayed the things that God hadn't decided on, He'd never pray at all. He only spoke the things that God already said. This is what I want to do. So when he says, I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. I mean, a good translation, good way to read it, would be to put two letters in front of this. So that your faith will not fail. In other words, Jesus prayed. He didn't say, please God, don't let their faith fail. He prayed so that their faith would not fail. In other words, your faith won't fail because I prayed. I have prayed. Your faith won't fail. And you, when once you've turned again, he doesn't say, if you decide to turn, if by chance you turn around, he says, when you've turned. Now, he, when he says, and you, he's, he's, saying, he's singular. This is back at Peter, just Peter. He's not talking to all the disciples. He says, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's a, there's a reason God warns Peter here. Number one, so that in the middle of the storm, he would know and rely on the fact, Jesus has prayed on my behalf. And number two, so that he knows, he recognizes it, and he can turn around and strengthen, give heart, give courage to his brothers. 
This is so important. Romans 13 says, Let the strong, we who are strong, must bear with the failings of the weak. It is a responsibility of you who've heard the word, understand the word, that when you see your house is built strong, you strengthen someone else's foundation. If they have suffered loss due to a storm, you help them rebuild. This time, dig down deep. It is a responsibility of us to lift up the hands that hang down, to heal the lame limbs that they may walk. This is all through Scripture. Peter, once you've turned, strengthen your brothers. I love this. He says, Satan has desired to run you through his fingers, and what he thinks he'll find is that you're fake. You're not real. This this was all a play. This was all an experiment that failed. But guess what? He's going to have a horrible look on his face when he runs you through his fingers and you don't fall apart and you don't collapse in his fingers and you don't break and you don't shatter, but you turn out, "Uh uh-oh, I've made a big mistake. They're the real deal. Don't fear sifting because sifting is just you proving you are who you say you are. You, sifting is proving that you are who Jesus made you to be. I'm the real deal. He may desire to sift me, but he's going to look, he's going to end up with a red face because I'm real. I'm a real disciple. I've got the real spirit of Jesus inside me. This is not a sham. This is not a play. It's not an act. At the end of sifting, you're going to find out my faith was real. Peter says, don't be disturbed if necessary that you've encountered various trials. For in the end, your faith, though tested by fire, will be found to be pure, I mean, valuable gold, the real thing. Not damaged by the fire, not even tarnished by the fire. It's real. Thank God, don't fear it. And many people have treated this and said, you know, you'll be collapsed, you'll be broken down, you'll be depressed, you'll be discouraged, but you'll be standing. No. It doesn't say that. If you built your life on the rock, it's not just like the foundation that's still standing. It's the whole thing. The whole thing is standing. Now, if you built a a side addition that wasn't built on the foundation, yeah, that'll probably fall. You got a, a side little hobby that you do every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's something God didn't tell you to do, and it's a waste of your time, and you just do it because it's fun. I can't promise that'll be standing at the end of the day. But everything you build on the foundation of Christ, on His Word, it'll be there. It'll be just as strong as it ever was. It'll be proven to be what it was. Let's look at Jesus' prayer in John 17. He says, I have prayed for you which means that it already happened. He didn't say, I will pray for you. I have prayed for you. Let's read what he prayed, okay? Jesus is high priest forever, right? He stands on our behalf to make intercession for us. Forever. Other priests came and went, but he stands daily making intercession for us. John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. You were given to Jesus by the Father. 
And I think he takes that pretty seriously. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth. How did I glorify you? Having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. That's how God is glorified. You accomplish the work he gives you to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men who you, whom you've given me out of the world, whom you've given me. Now, this is cool, because what does manifest mean? It means to uncover, to reveal, to show. Something that no one else sees, you see because it's been manifested to you. I have manifested your name to the ones you've given me. Which means you've got a revelation of who Jesus is, of who God is, that Joe Blow out on the street does not have. When you've come to know Him, and you've received that eternal life, you've been born again, He manifests His name to you. And in turn, you're meant to manifest His name to others. Just like Jesus did. They were yours, and you gave them to me. Isn't that huge? And they have kept your word. Don't you think those are connected? Why do you think they kept your word? Because they're better men? Because they're stronger men? Because they're smarter men? No, because you gave them to me. That's why they kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and, you, and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. But of those whom you've given me. For they are yours. I don't ask on behalf of the world. I ask on their behalf. This is huge. Jesus would not ask something that wasn't the will of the Father. That they may be one. Sorry, I, I skipped ahead. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me. And I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So he was keeping them this whole time. Now you realize what he's saying. You keep them just like I kept them. He's asking the father to do what he did. This is big because the father's going to answer this prayer. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. This is huge. I gave them your word. You couldn't have this word unless it was given to you. You don't realize sometimes what a treasure we have. To have been given his word. Wow. And the world has hated them. Because they're not of the world. Even as I'm not of the world. They are no more of the world than I am. They are no more defined by the world than I'm defined by this world. They are no more in the system than I was in the system. I do not ask, this is big, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. That's huge. Listen to this. Because this is what we're talking about tonight. If you ever notice, 1 John is a book 
written to some people, a church that's been under some attack. When we were reading 1 John, that the church was under attack by false doctrines, by a spirit of Antichrist that had been in the church. And they're saying, how do we overcome this? He says, you will overcome because you're born of God. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You'll, you'll overcome because of your faith. In another place, he says this, don't worry about the spirit of Antichrist that's running around teaching false doctrines because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So don't be afraid, little children, beloved of God, for you've already overcome. So there is, there's talk throughout all these last few books of the Bible. The first few books of the Bible are written to young churches mostly. Uh, first few books, I'm sorry, of the New Testament. Written to young churches, teaching them basic Christian doctrine that we all should know, we all should understand, we all should dig deep into. Sometimes not so basic. Towards the end, the last few books of the New Testament, you notice a theme. Lots of warnings. Lots of false teachings creeping in. Lots of mockers, lots of things, lots of trials, lots of things. And you go, what's going on? The church is being tested but they're going to be found to be real. The real thing. The real church will stand. And he's saying, don't be afraid, little children. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He says this, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. Now realize what Jesus asked. Because it's important. Because what he asks, he gets. Everything Jesus asked for, Jesus got. What did he ask? The only exception is when he said, if possible, remove this cup from me. But then he finishes it with, but not my will. Cheers be done. But not my will. He recognizes it right away. This doesn't have that caveat. Clearly he knows he's praying according to the will of God. He says, I'm asking that you keep them from the evil one. Now I want you to, to, to meditate on this and realize Jesus got his prayer answered. Keep them from the evil one. Got an approval from the Father. Now if you think you're prey to the evil one, you've got to remember that Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If he could devour everyone, there would be no point in seeking. He would just go around devouring people. He has to seek whom he may devour. Because there's a big group of people that cannot be devoured because Jesus said, keep them from the evil one. Took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Robbed Satan of all authority that he ever had over you. Only authority he's got as the God of this world is to try his best to throw things at you that will test whether you're real. But if you're real, they can't penetrate you and he's got no authority over you. If you're a believer, you're born again, you're saved by the blood of the Lamb. He cannot beat that. I don't ask that you take them out of the world. Isn't that great? I mean, then there wouldn't have been anybody to lead you to Jesus. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. In other words, clean them up, make them holy. Your word is truth. Here's how you... 
here's how you're sanctified. Here's how you're cleaned. Here's how you're made like Jesus. Here's how you're made like God. The Word. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Can you imagine that? It, with the same power and authority that God sent Jesus into the world. God did not send Jesus into the world to survive. God did not send Jesus into the world merely to say, at the end of it, I'm still standing, but someday in sweet glory, sweet Beulah land, I have a mansion. This wasn't what he sent Jesus into the world to do. Oh, it's hard. Oh, the trials and tribulations of this life, but I got another life waiting for me. No, the whole time, he's saying, I have come to destroy the works of the evil one. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. He says, as you sent me into the world. In the same way, in the same manner, with the same authority, the same power that God sent the Son of God, Jesus Christ, into the world. He sent you. The same mission, the same authority, the same rocket boost at the back of the mission. This is it. You didn't just get thrown in, just drafted. And, and somehow a rifle stuck in your hand and say, oh, have fun. It's tough out there. You were sent. Oh, and you remember what he said to his disciples. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. All authority, nothing left. There's nothing left out of that. Therefore, go. Make disciples. And he goes on for a long time. <laughs> Verse 19 says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Now listen. You say, boy, he prayed such a nice prayer for those disciples. Oh, wow. I wish he'd pray for me. Jesus, you prayed for them. I wish you'd pray for me. But he says, I do not ask. On behalf of these alone. But. Now once again. There's that but. But. For those also. Who believe in me. Through their word. How did you come to believe? You believed in the word. And where did this word come from? Those disciples. Wrote down what Jesus told them. Wrote down what they saw and heard. Spread it all over the world, the known world at the time. Spread it all across. It got written down. The works and the deeds that followed the word got written down. And their word reached our ears and we believed. Every book that you read was a product of these that he asked for. But not these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. Jesus prayed that prayer not for 11 men but for billions and billions of believers who'd believe because of the testimony of those 11 men. Huge. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I love this. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's because of your place in Christ that the world will believe. 
It's because of this prayer that the world will believe. Because they saw you. Because you've manifested his name. There's a great deal to be afraid of if you've openly rejected the free offer of salvation. But there is nothing to fear if you are His and you abide in His love and you abide in His Word and you build your house on the rock. We've talked about storms, but this is not a doom and gloom message. When someone says storm, you say, I better get in my house. I'm going to my house built on a foundation. When someone says battle, you say, I'm going to put on my full armor that is able to withstand every fiery dart of the wicked one. Every fiery dart. Every fiery dart. This is victory. There will be tests. You remember, God didn't say, I desire to test you. He said, Satan has demanded to test you. How could he demand such a thing? Because you're still in the world. But you're in the world, and he is the God of this world. But he's prayed. Jesus prayed that you'd be kept from him. He can, he can test, but he can't do anything to the wheat. He can sift, but he's going to be embarrassed because you were real. And once you realize, oh, it blew up in his face. Read the book of Acts and you'll see how embarrassing this was when he tried to test these disciples and see if they were real. And they came out as pure wheat as pure gold, as pure disciples of Jesus Christ. And they faced beatings, imprisonments, lashings, death even, and did not flinch, did not run, but were found to be real disciples. Ignatius was one of the disciples of the Apostle John. He wrote a letter to the Roman church. He was an old man at the end of his life. Finished his work, accomplished his work. He says, here's the deal. They're taking me to Rome. They're going to throw me to the lions. He goes, but let the lions, let them grind me in their teeth that I may be found to be pure bread. Christ's wheat. He says... Get this. Now, you may not want to go this far. But here's, here's a man who's ready to go. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to go before your time. He's ready to go. He wants to go see Jesus. He's an old man. He's earned the right. And he goes, if the lions won't come after me, I will coerce them. <laughs> he goes, don't think me foolish. I just really want to see Jesus. <laughs> I don't think you need to go find some lions and tease them. But I do believe that there is a power in knowing 
that there may be things that come at me, but they will not conquer me because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And when I am tested, it is not me that's tested. He's testing Jesus. And Jesus has already been found victorious, pure, righteous, holy, purely everything he said he was. So I'm everything he says I am and I will pass the test and I will stand strong and he's going to look bad at the end of all this. 2011, come on, this is not a bad thing. Battles mean victories. (laughs) Obstacles mean overcomers will be made in 2011. 2011 will produce overcomers because stuff was thrown at them that they had every ability, every piece of equipment, every word of God that they needed to overcome. Next time you hear a prophecy, they say, beware. There are some things coming. Get ready. Realize that if it's from God, it's not meant to make you despair, but to give you hope. Get ready means you can be ready. Now, if a general got in front of his troops and he said, the Japanese, they're really mean. You don't stand a chance. They're going to slaughter a bunch of you. They're going to torture many of you. The guy needs to be kicked out of the army. (laughs) Kick him out. Slap him with your rifle on the way out. He's not worth it. But I've read some of the speeches of the great commanders throughout history. And they don't underestimate the other forces. But they tell you what you're made of. They tell you what you have that they don't have. They tell you what you've got in you that they don't have in them. They tell you what you're equipped with that they're not equipped with. And they say, we will overcome. We will conquer. We will beat them. Though they may be 10,000 strong, we are going to win this one. Now go in and fight. Because soldiers that go into a battle that they think they're going to lose are going to run and get shot in the back. But soldiers that are convinced they're going to win will stand through every barrage, through every artillery attack, through every bit of arrows that fly at them. They'll stand, they'll fight, they'll fire, and they won't run because they say, why would I run when I'm going to win? Ephesians 6 has all forward-facing armor. There's no armor on your butt. There's no armor on your back. There's no backward shield for your neck. There's nothing. It is all on the front because you are meant to stand. Not run. Stand. Amen. Now stand on. (laughs) We'll stand. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Lord. For we have overcome. This is the victory. The victory. The victory. The victory. The victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. We have a great high priest. We have a great intercessor. We have a king. We have a savior. We have a redeemer. We have a leader. We have a commander. We have a captain. We have a guardian. We have a shepherd. We have a high priest. Thank you, Jesus. It is not you that's tested. Look through the scriptures. It is your faith. Jesus said, I pray that your faith would not fail. Peter said, your faith will be found pure. What does this mean? 
What is faith for? What does faith mean? Clinging, relying, trusting, depending on Him. If it was a test of you, the word faith would not show up. They'd use words like strength, stamina, endurance. He is testing your faith. He's not testing you, He's testing Jesus. He's testing your connection to Jesus. If you have faith, you will stand. If you have faith, you'll act. If you have faith, you'll do. If you have faith, you'll stand. Oh Lord, may our faith not fail. We will overcome, for we have overcome. We will conquer, for you have conquered. We will stand, for you gave us your full armor to stand. In the evil day, a thousand will fall at our side. Ten thousand may fall at our right hand, but it will not come near us. For we dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Under your wings and your feathers we have found refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous, the righteous, the righteous will run into it and they are saved. Salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. (laughs) Salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. And we belong to Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, we glorify you and thank you for a victory that's been won, for a battle that's already been played out, for a story that's already been written that we are part of and get to celebrate at the end, reaping the harvest, rejoicing in your victory, rejoicing in the overcoming victory of the Lamb, rejoicing in the triumph of the King. Praise God. Can I read you something real quick? I'm sorry. But I just want to read you something that I've read hundreds if not thousands of times. When we were at Bible study in Loon Lake, I read it again like I'd read it for the first time. I believe I've read it to you as well. John on the Isle of Patmos. The darkest place in the Roman Empire. In a cave beneath temple of a pagan goddess sees the Lord he turns because he hears a voice like the sound of a trumpet and as the old man who has lived through the destruction of Jerusalem lived through the persecution of Nero lived through being lowered into a tank of boiling oil turns his old body to see the Savior that he once knew. But he looks different this time. For he looks like he has since the beginning of time. The Jesus that he saw was the exception, not the rule. The Jesus he saw was merely the Jesus that took on flesh. But when he turned, he saw the eternal Jesus. The Son of Man who was the Ancient of Days. And having turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. He saw the churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor. 
And in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes, his eyes were like a flame of fire. He doesn't say there was fire in his eyes. It was like a flame of fire. Have you ever looked at fire and been transfixed? Swirling, moving, drawing you in and you can't look away. His eyes, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, who we find out were the seven messengers to the churches, seven pastors, seven preachers. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And in his face was like the sun shining in his strength. This is our God. This is our Savior. This is Jesus who intercedes for you. This is the Jesus that, that walks among the churches, walks among our Wednesday night service. You realize that He comes inside of you. But that's not all. That is but one level of His presence. It is one level of His presence when you walk into the room and Jesus is there because you're there. It's another deal when you think of this guy walking among the churches. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. Word church, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one, <laughs> and I was dead and behold in other words look at me I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades I was dead but behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of hell. Praise God. Hades being hell. Hades being the grave. Hades being everything that Satan had planned for you. But I have the keys now. I was dead. I am alive. I was the first and the last. I've always been and I always will be. And I am the one that stands daily making intercession for you. And I am the one that fights for you. And I am the one that pours out my spirit on you. And I am the one that walks among your churches breathing life into you dead bones. I am the one that waves my hands and people fall down as if dead. I am the one that dances with the music. I am the one that sings over you with rejoicing. I am the one who conquers over your enemies and leads them into triumph. I am the one who goes daily and goes to the Father and makes intercession for your life and stands and pleads on your behalf. I am the one who comes and when you bow before me and worship, I come and place my hand on you and say, do not be afraid. 
I am the first and the last. I was dead, but I live. Oh, he said, no, no, no. He said, behold, I am alive forever. Look at it. Stare at it. Think about it. Gaze on it. Stop looking away. I'm alive forevermore. This is something you've, you're obviously supposed to pay attention to, church. I am alive. I'm not dead. I'm not found in a book. You find my words. They enter you as life. But I'm not just in that book. I'm here. Jesus. Great high priest. King forever. Risen Savior. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who is worthy and was slain but now lives forever. The Lamb of God who puts His hand on your shoulder and says, Do not be afraid. The Lamb of God who has conquered death, hell, and the grave and now holds the very keys and every bit of authority. Satan is not the master of hell. He does not own the rights to hell. Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. And He sets you free. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb.